All right, I share that with you because we're going to talk a little bit about the wise men, and it also served as an opportunity for me to encourage you to invite people for next Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday is obviously our Christmas Eve service, and uh, we do have our morning worship that will take place at 1030. We have Sunday school that will still take place at 9, uh, which is our normal schedule, but then we'll have one combined service at 1030 in here. Uh, It will be um, more of what you would expect in a traditional Christmas Eve service. Uh, There'll be a message and all of that. And then we do have an evening service as well. That one will be our candle lighting service. We would love to have everyone bring someone with you next week. Uh, Often people will come for Christmas just because it's Christmas. And it's a great opportunity for us to invite the people we love and care about and uh, we sometimes we're looking for an excuse to get them into church, and this can, maybe can be that opportunity to do so. I would like for us to begin this morning by reading the entire passage. I had um, actually I, I should have mentioned this before. I had you guys. Uh, um, I had Harry and Mary Beth share with us the reading this morning for the Advent, and some of you have not met them, but uh, they're a newer family that has been here at the church for a couple months now, and they're an incredible blessing. Thank you for being willing to do that uh, for me this morning. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, we're going to look at, uh, I had him read just uh, the first couple verses and then the last few at the end. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter chapter 2, and we see uh, the coming of the the wise men or the magi, depending on which name uh, is given to them at that particular time. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let me begin by asking you this morning, what does Christmas look like for you and for your family? For many, it will mean traveling to be with other family. Others, you will have individuals come and stay with you. I can think of two Hollywood films that portray this. The first is called Home Alone. There's actually a series uh, of films. In this series of films, there is a huge group of aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and children and all sorts of people who travel to some distant destination for Christmas, but they begin all in one house together. 
There was another one that was called Christmas Vacation. Both of these portray incredibly dysfunctional families as they gather for Christmas. And while there is certainly a Hollywood element to these portrayals, there is also a lot of truth to what we see. We all have a crazy Uncle Joey or a senile, angry grandpa. And when you put everybody in the same house for the holidays, it is easy for people to drive each other crazy. And then the dysfunction begins to set in. Well, at the very first Christmas, we are introduced to a very dysfunctional situation. Not only was the environment less than ideal, certainly for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he is actually born in a barn but in some very diverse people that show up there. It's not just the place, but the people that are there. Obviously, this included angels, which we look at and say, well, they're wonderful. We, we get excited about them. But then you get some dirty, stinky shepherds, as well as all the animals. Another group that we are introduced to in Matthew chapter 2 are these individuals known as the Magi. Please note that all of these characters came to do one thing, that is to worship the newborn king. Now, for the sake of historical accuracy, I need to tell you that there is one group of individuals, I know this is going to disappoint some of you because in your nativity scene, you've always had it this way, but they weren't really there at the birth of Christ. It's the wise men. Actually, these individuals that we're looking at right now, the Magi, uh, they see a star that rises, and when they see that star, they begin their journey. But as they begin their journey, they weren't living next door. We're told they came from the east, and then later on, it talks about them going back to their own country, which means it likely took them at least a couple years before they are able to get to the place where Jesus was with his family. But they still become a part of the Christmas story as God uses them to celebrate the birth of a Savior, of a Messiah. I want to talk for a moment about who it is that comes to Jesus, specifically in the Christmas story. But then maybe we'll take a look a little bit further as to who else might come to Jesus. Obviously, to begin with, the ones that I just mentioned, we have the Magi, we have these wise men who come, sometimes they're referred to as kings. Uh, certainly they commanded the audience of even Herod as they approached the scene. People take notice of them. They're also somewhat wealthy. Uh, we know that they bring significant gifts with them. We'll talk about those gifts a little bit later. Uh, but what we know is these were not insignificant people. Perhaps they were just astrologers who were familiar with the Old Testament prophecies, the promises that God had for them. We're not sure exactly who they were, but we know that they are important because God allows them to be a part of this incredible story. They were familiar with these Old Testament prophecies. They likely were not Jews. These were individuals who they knew the things that had been promised, but they weren't really sure exactly what they meant but they had a little bit better idea than some others that perhaps should have known. They likely brought with them a relatively large caravan of people, so they had significant influence. How do we know that? Uh, most of the time in that day and time, if an individual traveled with something of great value, there was a good chance that they would be robbed somewhere along the way. 
Yet these individuals travel with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, three things that would have been considered of great value. How did they know that they could make it to their destination with all of this great wealth? They knew because they likely did not travel alone. There were others that came with them. All of them Jesus. But as an adult, there would be many others who would also want to see Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, it tells us of who might come to see Jesus. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." In the case of these wise men, they come with something. They will seek something for themselves. What's so unique about this is that all are genuinely welcome in the presence of Jesus Christ. Initially, we have this group of individuals. We often assume there were three of them. We just know they brought three items with them. But this group of individuals comes to Jesus and their intent is to offer something back to him. Yet there are so many others who would come to Jesus seeking something for themselves. Yet Jesus welcomes every single one of them regardless of why they come. There was a shepherd who had little to offer. A king who brings gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A young mother trying to figure out what's next for her and her child. One who is weary and tired. One who is overburdened by life. Yet all are welcomed in the presence of Jesus Christ. What an incredibly gracious atmosphere this must have been. This part of the Christmas story has not changed. All are still welcome in the presence of Jesus. And perhaps today you come with incredible baggage. Perhaps you come from great prosperity. Perhaps you come with a million questions, not sure exactly what any of this stuff means. Perhaps you come as one who is simply worn out from life. He welcomes you into his presence. Now, I don't want us to miss one other point about people who come to Jesus, and it's simply this. Not everybody will come to Jesus Not everyone will respond to the opportunity which they have. Consider King Herod. He was an ungodly ruler who was so concerned about protecting his reign that he couldn't see that the greatest event in human history was happening right in his kingdom. Or consider the chief priests and the teachers of the law that King Herod turned to. These were men who knew the prophecies of a Messiah who was to be born King of the Jews. Yet in all of their religious knowledge, there seems to be no pursuit of the Messiah. These wise men show up and declare that they know that this king has come. At what point do these chief priests and teachers of the law say, you know what, if if they're going looking for this king of the Jews, then we ought to be going as well. Actually, when Herod goes to them, they share with him the scriptures Yet life goes on as if nothing has changed for them. There will be many, many individuals 
who will not come to Jesus, even though he makes himself available to all. The story is told of a missionary who was serving in a diamond mine region of Africa. One day he noticed a group of boys who were playing marbles. As he moved in closer, he realized that they were not playing with marbles, but rather they were playing with diamonds. Here they were with something so beautiful and so valuable, yet they're playing marbles with it instead. And here we have teachers of the law, chief priests who knew the beauty that God had promised to them. Yet they did not appreciate the beauty and the value that was there. They were playing a kid's game. This gift that God sent through his son Jesus Christ has been made available to all. Anyone who would believe, anyone who would place their trust in him, Yet there will be many, unfortunately, who will not respond to this incredible gift. We must not be among that group of people. I guess what grabs my attention most about this is that these are the individuals who should have known better. Here's my concern. We are what we would call the body of Christ. We are the church We have heard the gospel message presented over and over again. We know the prophecies that declare that a Messiah will come from the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would become like a lamb being led to the slaughter, that he would willingly lay down his life for us. But are we any different from the chief priests and the teachers of the law? who can quote various scriptures, but we never stop to apply it to who we are. We must be different. We must come before this Messiah, and we will be welcomed into his presence. Now, there are many reasons why people would come for such an occasion. They would include things like curiosity and maybe a simple love for something so precious as a little child's birth. It would certainly make sense that as the shepherds came, these were potential factors. Maybe they heard there was a baby being born and they just wanted to come check it out. Now we know that there were other things that drew them. In particular, we know that angels came and they announced the coming of this child and specifically even shared with them what made this so significant. For this was the promised Messiah, but simple curiosity might have been a factor as well. We could look at a million reasons why people would come to Jesus, but I've identified three today uh, in this message. I want to look at them. The first one is one that I've already mentioned this morning. People came to Jesus for the sake of worship. Remember, every character in the Christmas story who comes to Jesus will stop and offer worship. The the, uh, shepherds, They come and they bow down and they offer worship. The angels offer worship. The magi offer worship. Even Mary, as the mother of this child, offers worship. Every individual who comes to Jesus is drawn for one of the purposes of worship. This was the God of heaven choosing to take on human flesh. Perhaps it was the angels singing about his birth. Perhaps it was just something unique about his presence. But what we know is that there was something incredibly unique about Jesus. And because of that, people worshipped him. 
This would happen while Jesus was a child, but it would also happen even more so during his life and following his resurrection. Matthew 28 verse 9 tells us of the response of God's people. By this time, Jesus has lived a godly life. He has become the sacrifice for mankind, and now he has been resurrected from death. Matthew 28, 9 tells us of the response of God's people. They had seen the crucifixion. They knew that he was dead, yet here they are. They see him, and he is alive. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Consider the difference between the two. Talking about the Christmas story and then what happened after the resurrection of Christ. In the Christmas story, he is worshipped as one who had yet to accomplish the thing he came to do. He is already the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but the shepherds and the wise men and everyone else who is there likely did not fully understand his role. They just knew that he was the promised king of the Jews. But when the people worship in Matthew chapter 28, he is already the conquering king. He has already defeated sin on the cross and death by way of the resurrection. As they worship him, they worship not just an idea or a principle, but they recognize that he is their only hope as well. There were others who came to Jesus. For example, many came to Jesus not for the sake of worship, although in turn often they turned to worship. Some came seeking his healing. There are many examples of such events. Many are Jews, but not all. Again, all are welcome in the presence of Jesus. Consider Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 5 says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. His servant was paralyzed and in great pain, and nobody else could help, but Jesus could help. How many other people came to Jesus seeking his healing? There were those who were blind, lame, Deaf, even dying. There were multiple examples of people who had leprosy, an incurable disease that ravaged their society, yet Jesus was able to heal them. In Mark 1.40, we see Jesus heal one man with leprosy. Later, we'll see him heal ten at the same time. The point is that people came looking for healing, and Jesus did not disappoint. Another reason that many would come to Jesus is simply because they sought his wisdom. He knew everything, and as he spoke to individuals, it changed who they were. Consider a man named Nicodemus who came in John chapter 3. He was already a knowledgeable man. He was a, a student of the law. But he came to Jesus not satisfied with the knowledge that he had already. He questioned Jesus on how a man could be born again. What must a man do to be saved? He genuinely sought the wisdom of God. But he wasn't alone. He was that particular night that he came to Jesus, but he wasn't alone because many others would pursue the wisdom of Christ. Mark 10.1 reveals to us that Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea. 
and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. The point is that everywhere Jesus went, people wanted his wisdom. They knew that he was offering something that they themselves needed. This brings me to my last point this morning that I want to share with you, and this is the one that I want to use to challenge you a little bit. What do you bring to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? In Matthew chapter 2, we see these magi bringing gifts to the King of Kings, Jesus himself. They bring items that we have heard of. We know what gold is. What are we talking about when we talk about frankincense and myrrh? Frankincense is actually a gum resin that was superior to basically anything else that was available um, and could be used uh, as an incense that, that individuals would put off an incredibly beautiful aroma. But it was something that was very rare and therefore very expensive. This was their gift. It was something of great value. There's some debate as to what the purpose of the myrrh was. Uh, was this to anoint him as the king or anoint him for death? Because myrrh was actually an anointing oil that was often used as individuals would be buried because it covered up the smell of rotting flesh. It actually helped family members to be around the dead body after it had died because it had been anointed with such a beautiful smelling oil. Again, something of great value. Honestly, I don't care what you think the reason of myrrh was or even frankincense or even gold. We know what gold was. What matters to me is each of those gifts was something of great value. It wasn't as if they were kind of looking through their stuff in the attic and trying to find something. Well, you know what? I'm never going to use that again. So why don't I come and I'll give this to Jesus? That's not the way it was. Have you ever heard people use the phrase, well, you know, it's the least I can do? And they're honest about that. They're finding the very least to be able to do for somebody else to give to someone. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So as these wise men come, they are coming for the purpose of honoring him, which means they don't want to do the least they can do. They want to give their absolute best to him. So they bring gold, and they bring frankincense, and they bring myrrh. Three things that would have been considered of great value. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit short on gold this morning. A little bit short on frankincense and myrrh as well. In fact, I don't know if I've ever even handled those two items. So what can I bring to Jesus? I understand that what I come for is to worship him and to celebrate his presence. And the reality is, as was portrayed in that video, he needs nothing from me. But I should bring something. Imagine the opportunity to be in the presence of someone so great. Wouldn't you want to bring something just to say thanks? There have been times, and I, I don't, obviously I'm not in the same position. I've had individuals come over to the house for dinner or whatever else, and often they'll bring something just because they don't want to come empty-handed. Well, I don't want to come empty-handed before Jesus. So what can I bring to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The answer is very simple. I must give him the thing that he desires most. And it's not gold. And it's not frankincense and myrrh. If you've got it and you want to bring it, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. But that's not what he's looking for. 
What he really wants is you. What he really wants is a relationship with you. Everything that he did, him coming to the earth to take the form of a human being, becoming a fetus that would grow into an infant child that would become a toddler and that would go through all of his teen years and then become a sacrifice in adulthood. All of those things, he did that because he loved you. You are the thing that he desires the most. I encourage you to enjoy this Christmas season as a historical thing, but even more so than that. To understand the real reason he came was to make things right with you. He loves you that much. What do you give to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? You. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, today is the day to do so. You want to say thanks for the incredible gift that he has offered to you? Do so by offering yourself back to him. He tells us in his word that if we will seek him, we will find him. And we seek him with all of our hearts. I challenge you, especially over this next week, as you enter into Christmas, seek him with all of your heart. And in doing so, offer yourself to him. I will guarantee you, he will change everything about you until you become a reflection of him if you genuinely seek him with all your heart. I'm asking if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we look at all these people, we look at the characters of this Christmas story, yet we recognize that the most important figure is not a shepherd and it's not wise men, it's not Mary, it's not even the angels, but it's you. Thank you for coming for us. Lord, it is our privilege to come to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't want to come empty-handed. Lord, I ask right now that you would accept our gift to you today. Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would fill us today with your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we offer ourselves, Lord, if there be anything that keeps us today from surrendering our lives to you, Lord, I pray that you would remove it. That's a harsh prayer, Lord. We know that. There may be things in our lives that don't belong, yet things that we enjoy. But Lord, at this moment, I ask that you would remove anything that might keep us from surrendering everything to you. Lord, I pray that you would be blessed and that you would be honored as we offer ourselves to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I do want to encourage you that this offering of ourselves to Christ is not a one-time thing, but a lifetime thing, which means every moment of our lives, we need to be continually saying, Lord, I am yours. Lord, I am yours. You get up tomorrow morning, lay yourself at his feet once more, continually offering yourself to him, and he will bless you and fill you in ways you never could have imagined. Remember, next week, our schedule is going to be a little bit different. Sunday school is at 9. We intentionally have left about a half hour in between Sunday school and the service because we want people to come into fellowship. 
I think what we're going to do is we're going to have some coffee and stuff that will be in the, the gymnasium. And we would love to have people come and celebrate with us. The weather kind of dictates that a little bit. I'd love to do something out in the parking lot. But if it's cold, y'all won't like that very much. So uh, we would love to have you come and be a part of that. Thank you for being with us this morning. And go in peace.